Amen. Let's give Miranda a round of applause. You might think announcements are easy. They are not. Uh, and she did a great job. Well, good morning, everybody. Ready for this? Ready for church? Glad you're here. Well, uh, welcome to summer. Uh, fairly safe to say that winter is over. Uh, I think it's fairly safe to say. Uh, so we're glad about that. Again, it, it, maybe this is your first time here and you go, ah, they, brought, they have a potluck going on. I didn't bring anything. You can do one of two things. You can either uh, not bring anything and just join us. There will be plenty of food. Or you can run to Safeway or somewhere else and then come back and join us. Uh, it's going to be a great time. We're just going to transform that room into tables and chairs and everything else. So uh, definitely want you guys to be a part of it. I was thinking this week about religion. You guys ever think about religion? You ever have that discussion with someone where you go, I'm not religious. I'm a Christian, right? Uh, or, or, you know, this, this idea of, uh, of religiality, this religiousness just gets thrown around and we have this like bad taste in our mouth where we want to just run from religion. And so I've been thinking about this in biblical terms to, to be religious doesn't necessarily mean that you're godly. It, we all on the same page with that. We could look through all history and look through uh, the different forms of being religious, and we kind of know this to be true. To be religious can simply mean, uh, in, in a real basic sense, that you're involved in kind of the trappings of religion. Uh, maybe some of you have had that experience before that maybe even you're a member of a false religion and things get kind of quirky and you're being asked to do things that don't make sense and don't seem very uh, biblical. And yet the scriptures talk about religion at times in a positive sense. And so I, I just started thinking a lot about that and what that means for us in the sense that if we practice the fruit of the Spirit of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us uh, and we're committed to Christ and we're committed to His Word, then there is actually a beautiful sense of religion that comes out of that. And I think that's something that those who are followers of Jesus, we need to start embracing rather than being apologetic for religion. We're going to have several scriptures that we're going to kind of fly through. Um, I'm going to give you some advance notice. Why don't you, if you guys have your Bibles, we've been really pushing for you to bring your Bibles, bring your hardback or your paperback Bibles so we can flip through pages, underline, highlight, circle, scrabble notes, uh, etc. Also, uh, the next step, if you would, is to bring a notebook of some kind to take notes, let God speak to you so that you're actually jotting things down that God is saying so that you can uh, go back and visit that later. James uh, focuses on religion as the practice of those who have true faith in Jesus. It's actually talked about as a, as a positive, and he says that true religion demonstrates the presence of saving trust in the Lord Jesus. It's actually something that's very uh, beautiful and poetical in James. What true godliness looks like, he tells us in James chapter 2, is not a matter of merely holding on tight to the correct doctrine with our minds. In other words, having all the right answers, ha having all of the right things memorized and going, well, that's true religion. That, that is true Christianity. If I understand doctrine in my mind, although that is essential, 
But he says that true godliness means that that doctrine shapes our lives so that we then go into the world around us and live in such a way that is true and congruent to that doctrine. It shapes our lives to such a degree that we manifest the kind of life that God wants us to live. And James tells us in James chapter 2, he gives us a sufficient definition of true religion, true godliness. He says this, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is fascinating because anything could have been plugged in here. It could have been pure and undefiled religion is being nice. Uh, pure and undefiled religion is have all of the answers. But no, we don't get that. James elevates the activity of caring for the widows and the orphans as the very essence of pure and undefiled, clean, if you would, religion. And, and to me, that appears to be pretty significant. If you're reading the scriptures, the scriptures and it says, in order to have true and pure religion, undefiled religion, this is what you ought to do, that causes me to pump the brakes a little bit. And then it's self-examine this idea that is frequently neglected in the church today. Last week, we thought we finished a relationship series with Mark Popenhagen. Several weeks ago, we, we began this, and I thought it was over, but I was, as I was sitting over here and listening to the Pope speak, I thought to myself, we missed one. We're not done yet. And so we began this conversation throughout the week to, to make an adjustment to call an audible, if you would. We covered parenting. We covered marriage. Uh, Alex did that incredible. If you missed that, you can go back online and not only listen, but you can watch it and go through the discussion questions. And then last week, the Pope talked on singleness. And as I sat there, I thought to myself, we're still missing one. And so this morning, I want to, for the first time uh, in my calling in ministry, I want to focus on widows. It's a hard subject. It's, it's not a fun subject. It's not a happy, happy, rah, rah topic. But I think overall, the church does a pretty good job of caring for orphans, uh, foster care kids, etc. Worldwide, there's a, an enormous effort to try and do that. And it's rightfully so. But then when we think about widows, how do we care for the widows? It seems like we're a little confused. There aren't the, the extraordinary efforts to care for those in that kind of lifestyle. And so this morning, I want to focus on that. It's clear if we read the scriptures that God blesses in a very unique way widows and he curses those who curse widows. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 27, if you have your Bibles open. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 19. Some of these scriptures you just can't argue with. Verse 19 says, Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the alien, the fatherless, or the widow. 
Curses the man, the woman, humanity, the culture, the people who withholds justice from the widow. In Isaiah, a, f- a few doors down, chapter 1, at the very beginning of the book, chapter, seven, uh, chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, learn to do right. Well, we could just preach on that. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Plead the case of the widow. I can be very frank and very honest with you. I've pleaded the case of individuals. But I've never taken up the cause to plead the case for the widow as a whole. I'll plead the case for Polly. I'll plead the case for Judy. But I've never pleaded the case for the widow. If you turn uh, another couple of doors down, Jeremiah chapter 22, starting in verse 3 and goes through verse 4, it says this. There's a lot of this going on in Scripture if you've not read. Verse 3, this is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but really if we, if we want to boil down Christianity uh, of what it means to follow Jesus is we begin to follow this man, this God-man on earth, and we do what we know is right because the Spirit of God is speaking to us. And if we're honest, most of the time we know what's right. We're just really good at justifying, and therefore we make it confusing. It's not that confusing. And so we look at these scriptures. Uh, if we go to verse four, uh, do no wrong. Uh, actually, let's, keep, let's go back. Rescue uh, from the hand of his oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong and violence to the alien, the fatherless, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. Care for the widow. This is pure and undefiled religion. And in several other scriptures, you will find a blessing pronounced on those who care for the widows and who properly care for them. You will also find a curse on those who do not properly care for, defend, and protect, and provide for the orphan and the widow. In Exodus chapter 22, starting at verse 22, God says that when widows cry out and no one hears their cry, this doesn't say if widows cry out and no one hears their cry. When widows cry out and nobody hears their cry, he says, I will hear your cry. In that loneliness, in that place, in in that quiet moment of brokenness to a very specific person, the Lord says, I will hear your cry. God knows and God comes to the assistance of such a person. And guess what? He uses us to do that. He, He prompts the lives of those who are following Jesus to go and do that. You see, the widows and their care emerge prominently in the agenda that God set for his church. From the very beginning, one of the earliest problems that arose in the early church was that widows were literally being neglected, looked past, walked past, ignored, 
ostracized, kicked out of friend groups. This was from the earliest church. And if that was a problem for the first century church, how much more likely is it for us 2,000 years later that we would be guilty of neglecting the widows within our circles? And neglect isn't always malicious. You can neglect someone. You know when you do it. You walk into a room and you're like, that person's over there. I'm walking over here. Like that's malicious neglect. Your family gets together and your great uncle Earl is there and he's super annoying. He has been his whole life and you neglect him on purpose. That's malicious. But you see, neglecting isn't always malicious. Sometimes it's unknowing. Sometimes it just happens and we're not even aware that we're unintentionally neglecting because of our unknowing or our not understanding. I didn't know this. When my grandfather died, here's a picture of my grandma and grandpa. This is my grandma and grandpa West. They, uh, in large part, are responsible for me being here today. My grandpa was kind of the John McGovern meets Mimi uh, of their church at Third Presbyterian Church in Springfield, Illinois, like two streets down from Lincoln's uh, burial site. And he was the every Saturday, all day Saturday, fix anything, know anything, figure it out. And I was a church rat and I just would come with him. It was a huge Presbyterian church and I had the run of the place. And, and when my grandfather passed away, my grandma suddenly felt removed from the things that was most closely involved alongside of him when he was alive. And I wasn't aware of that. I knew there was an emptiness of loss of someone, but I didn't understand the extent of having someone that you've deeply loved and done life with, and now that person is removed. I challenge you to feel the emotions, even this morning, to think about your spouse suddenly is taken from you today, this morning. And what that all of a sudden feels like when a person loses their lifelong mate, it's like losing a fundamental intimate part of oneself because husband and wife, we are told in the mystery of matrimony, as Alex talked about a couple weeks ago, become one flesh. And so the removal of part of your flesh is painful. And the pain of widowhood brings a unique dimension of loneliness. Certainly in seasons of, of peaks and valleys, but nevertheless, it's there. It's jolting to suddenly be alone when you're so comfortable with that other person. They're your best friend. They're your confidant. They're your helpmate. They're who you get through life with. And then that's gone. And since God is the great comforter of his people, it makes sense then that God would have such concerns for widows given the pain that they experience. Now, I want to address something that might be somewhat obvious to some of you. Why does James, why does the Bible not mention widowers? Why does the Bible focus on widows? Certainly, the widower, as Irv could attest to, 
experiences the cramp of suffering that comes with losing a lifelong mate. But let me make this one thing very, very clear. And it's not politically correct in any way. In a day and age where we're all the same, everything's fair, we're all equal, uh, we all want to be, be put in the same boat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, this does not fly in that. Because God has always held a special place for women. From the very beginning, God has always set woman aside as a very, very special, intimate place within his arms. Always, without exception, in God's design, women are to be the special object of care. Women are to be the object of provision and protection. God tells us in the scripture that women are vulnerable. Now, don't shoot the messenger. I don't need you to snap your fingers and go, mm, who you call them vulnerable, pastor? Like, I'm just telling you, the Bible describes woman as vulnerable. Some denominations, some pastors would even say weaker. I choose vulnerable. <laughs> Amen, Christy? Man, the stronger vessel, if you would, don't read too much into that, is the protector and the provider. And because of this, widows, women without husband, women without provision, women without protection, women who have lost their mate and therefore their means of support hold a very special concern for the heart of God. Very special. He takes great interest in protecting the care relative to a woman who has lost her husband. Women also are to be under the protection and the provision of their husbands or their fathers. And when they lose those opportunities and those privileges and that area of protection, guess what happens? This is the heart of God. God takes up their cause. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And when that physical, when that, when that human side is removed, God takes up their cause and rallies around them. It's called the church. You see, the church so often is viewed as like the place where they give all the answers and they stand on their soapbox and they preach and they condone and, and they condemn and all these things. You know what the church is? The hands and feet of Jesus raising up to take the cause of people. Widows then, by God's design, are uniquely his concern. Listen to that. Widows are God's unique concern. They receive from him pity, which again is another word we don't like in today's times. It has negative connotations. But the true heart of the word pity is that's what widows receive, this merciful, gracious, loving, heartbreaking treatment. Not pity in the sense of callous. And all of those people who name the name of God and identify with Him as followers, therefore should treat widows in the same way that whose hearts are aligned with Christ. That's our call. Now, there's a lot that could be said about this. 
We could unpack this for hours. In fact, we could do a six-week series on widows and orphans and pure religion, rethinking this or unthinking, if you would, religion. But here's what I do know. Widows have always experienced particular difficulties in every age of culture. This, no different. Widows have experienced this. They face particular problems in the ancient world. There weren't insurance programs. There weren't pharmacies. There weren't 401ks or retirement systems. None of that existed. If you were a widow in the ancient world, you were done. Not only socially and relationally, you were done provisionally. You couldn't eat. You couldn't work. You couldn't protect yourself. You were vulnerable. The vultures would close in. helpless within their own community. Widows had little or no means of support in the ancient societies. So essentially for the widow in the ancient world, life was over. And thus the care of widows in God's beautiful design was given to the Old Testament and the New Testament to which we're a part of. And so the question is big, how do we, who are part of that, how do we do this well? How do we care for widows? I want to ask you to join me in welcoming Polly Coleman and Judy Hansen to the stage as they help us with this question. Two of my beautiful friends here. I'm going to help you up, Judy. Hold on, Polly. You can sit right here. All right. Have a seat, ladies. Nice to see you. You both look beautiful. Thank you. Can you get up okay? All right. So last week I went to uh, Polly and Judy and I said, pretty sure God told me something, which should be a reason for you to be alarmed if I ever come to you, because that means you're going to go on stage. And they both kind of looked at me with kind of deer in headlights and I said, I, I feel like uh, the church needs to hear from the two of you. Do you want to preach next week? That's what they did. And I said, I think your response is, yes, Lord. Uh, we're going to do this. Uh, and then Polly said, well, I don't know exactly what I should say. And I said, well, that's not, not to be like overly confident, but I'm going to keep tossing scripture at you. That kind of sounds like Moses. Uh, and so in, with a lot of pulling of arms and legs, they are here to join us. They are dear friends of mine. I love them both from the bottom of my heart. They are both widows. Uh, they uh, have incredible husbands. And I believe we have a picture of their handsome husbands that we're going to honor this morning. If we look, we see Glenn Melvin Coleman up on the screen. Married. Where did you get that? <laughs> look, Polly, we haven't even started yet. Okay. You're in charge when we're down there. Up here. This is my world, if that's okay with you. 
married June 28, 1947. Beautiful day. Handsome. Super handsome. We also have Dale Richard Hansen, who I've heard so much about, married May 31st, 1962. These two men that are up on screen hold a very dear place in these two women's lives, but also their families that are here. I need to say before we jump into things, I wish so much they were here. I wish that for the two of you. I wish that for your families. Selfishly, I wish it for me because I've heard so much about both of them that I would have considered it um, a privilege and an honor uh, to be able to shake hands and have a relationship with these two men. Polly told me right before the service that um, Mel at one point after a sermon uh, stood up by himself and started clapping. I'm like, dang, we need Mel here. <laughs> we need some Mel in this room. So feel free to do that. Uh, let's start with you, Judy. You okay? I'm okay. Okay. Wait, I'm supposed to have this. I'll, I'll help you. You're good. Hold it to your chin. I'm not used to this at all. So I'm just going to let you know this right now. You're going to judge me that I'm mean to these two, but if they start talking too much, um, there may be a point where I kind of divert the question a little bit. Please do not judge me, okay? Food will get cold. Is that fair, Judy? Well, that's why I tried to put some points down here so I yep. can stay on task. 18 pages. <laughs> awesome. He asked me to talk. <laughs> Awesome. How old are you, Judy? You didn't say that was part of it. <laughs> but I will share, because in my grandmother's Bible, she had this phrase, not all have the opportunity to, to grow old. So I'm really excited to celebrate my 80th birthday next year. And I don't know how it got to be that number so soon. Well, fair enough. And Polly, how old are you? In two weeks, I'll be 93. 93 years old. All right. So it is uh, it, obvious here, it is a privilege for me to sit with the two of you. Um, you have so much wisdom. I learn from you. I receive your hugs and your wisdom and your encouragement to me every week, and we're excited to dive into some of this. Uh, if at any point you need me to just kind of go on because it's too hard emotionally, then you let me know that and we'll, we'll do that. I just want to thank you for being vulnerable here. I know uh, it's a little petrifying to expose your lives and your hearts uh, to these folks and the people who are watching online. Uh, so thank you. Um, there's only millions that are watching. Um, Be first time for millions. Awesome. All right. All right. Okay. Uh, Judy, tell us about your husband. Help us get to know him. I will, but first I want to say, I'm not here to tell you how to live and what you to say. All of these are thoughts and feelings that I've experienced, and I pray for forgiveness if I say something that's too hard to someone that's here, because I don't know for sure whether you might be in the middle of some of this grief or not. And so, please take it for what I'm praying that will be. Um, I was blessed to meet this guy from Iowa, 
And if you don't know about Iowa Hawkeyes, it didn't take long to know him before you felt like you knew him well. And he was one of six children in the Hanson family um, and um, was a hard worker as a young man. He was involved in high school. He took on leadership in the high school already before. And then he went off to college. I was one of four children. I had a brother two years older and one two years younger. And they were always looking out for any guy that I dated. And if, I, if my parents heard from them, I didn't have a second date, okay? <laughs> so, but um, there was this guy called Dale Hansen that both of my brothers knew. And so uh, George, being the one that was uh, there that summer, thought it was really fun because my dad called for help for putting all this hay up. So George managed for Dale to come to the farm to help put up hay. And so they thought a lot about him. And so then I got acquainted with him. And I had no idea that the Lord would drop my beloved husband in my dad's hay field. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, I'm going to ask you some questions. Okay. We're going to maybe go off script here right. if you That's can do right. that. Okay. Uh, you guys get married in 1962. Uh, tell us about his character. Who is he? He's a man that was well beloved by his students and fellow um, work uh, at the school. He was a high school teacher and a coach. Um, the, one of the phrases that was shared for many was, if you couldn't get along with Dale Hansen, you were not going to be able to get along with anyone. Mm. And so he was a man of great patience. He grew in his faith to where it was a blessing to see him do, they asked him to do all the prayers when we did the Salvation Army meals. And it's um, the growing that, so he grew, we just grew together in the Lord. Wonderful. I'm going to hit pause for you. I'm going to come to you, Polly, um, your incredible, handsome husband. Uh, he went by Mel. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell us about how you met Mel, and then uh, give us a little description of, of who he was as a man. Well, uh, first of all, I want to say that uh, his family and my family ancestors settled in the Swatch area in the San Luis Valley in the 1870s. They were ranchers. And so I fell in love with Mel when I was five years old. And Wow. It's <laughs> it like a mic drop moment. <laughs> it took me many years to catch him, but I did. Um, was he on a horse? We both were. Okay. So. Um, I feel like this is what talk show hosts feel like. <laughs> where you just don't quite know where things are going. All right, so you're five. Yes. And you're in love. I'm picturing it. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to leave it there. Oh, fair enough. Okay, what I'm going to do is tell you that after the ancestors came and they were ranchers, uh, both of us came from ranching families, and so um, uh, uh, right after you asked me about Mel and what, okay, so right after high school, uh, he went into the Navy and uh, was in Okinawa. Uh, he was on the Vicksburg uh, radio technician, 
he came back and um, went to the University of Colorado and got a degree in engineering and then went back to the ranch and things were kind of tough at the ranch uh, in the way of, of low prices for calves and droughts and whatnot. And so he started in the uh, 1970s, he started Coleman Natural Meats. He went to um, Washington, D.C. to get um, a, a label for natural beef and finally got that. And when he passed away, uh, Coleman beef was sold all over the United States and in Japan. And that's who he was. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I suppose reminiscing about this in front of all these people and seeing their pictures on screen, uh, there's some emotions swirled, right? Um, probably some happiness and some sadness, maybe uh, a scab, if you would. I just want to apologize for that uh, pain. But again, thank you for being vulnerable with us. I'm going to start with you, Polly, on this next question. Uh, take us to when Mel uh, got sick and then um, uh, passing away. Just whatever insight you want to give us to let us know what happened and, and, and how he passed. Uh, 12 o'clock midnight, uh, he woke up with a severe pain. And I said, we should go to the hospital. And he said, no. At 1 o'clock, I said, maybe we should go to the hospital. And he said, no. At 2 o'clock, I got up and got dressed. And he said, where are you going? And I said, to the hospital. <laughs> and he said, I think I'll go with you. <laughs> so uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And uh, that was in November, the late November, mid December, he was hospitalized and they did surgery, but there was no way that there was anything. It was too far along. And so he was in the hospital until uh, January 23rd. And then we took him home under hospice and uh, my sons took care of him and my daughters took care of me. And um, uh, February 3rd, uh, he passed away. Thank you for sharing. Judy, your beloved Dale, take us to how did he get sick? When did he pass? He was playing 18 holes of golf three times a week, running 30 minutes a night jogging. Um, hadn't missed a day of school when he was teaching school and just went in for a physical, and they called and said, oh, he needs to come back in. We see a mass on the lung. That isn't really what anyone wants to hear. And um, actually, I'd had breast cancer before, and it would have been easier for me to have heard that my cancer had come back rather than that he had cancer. So it was, um, it was a hard 10 months fight, and we were blessed that we had walked out and retired together so that I could do everything I could. Mm. And it was um, a tough 10 months because I just knew we were going to beat it, and so did Dale. Yeah. And he said, if we don't surround ourselves with positive people, we're not going to make it. Mm. And so we fought hard. And um, we were here um, Christmas Eve 
2001, um, and we had an Advent service with Grant and his family. And all, we all went around and shared what Jesus had brought to us in the year. And Dale sat there and gave to me and to our children a blessing by saying, in the fight with his cancer, Jesus had given him peace all the way. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that. I'd like to dive in a little bit to um, those first few moments, um, not the immediate moments. Uh, I know that's an intimate uh, time with, with you both and your family of that immediate passing. I want to look more at like the weeks and months um, afterwards. Um, how, how were you doing? How, where was God in the midst of that? What was your range of emotions as you uh, endured that? We'll start with you, Judy. I had always prayed for a man in my life that would be a devoted Christian man to be the father of my children. And so he walked with the Lord in all his ways. And so um, I forgot where I was going. That's okay. Um, <laughs> um, if you can give us a window into emotionally, mentally, and where God was in the handful of weeks and months after uh, Dale's passing. Okay. So the greatest comfort I had in all of that was knowing that he was with the Lord. So when we put our hopes in people, they fall short because we all fall short. But if we have our hope in the Lord and pray for every step that we take and to give us strength, uh, my Lord has never forsaken me in all of the times of my life. There's been some rough times health-wise and so forth. And so we had that walk together. And so uh, that was my strength or I even wouldn't be here today. Okay. Polly, same question. Mel passes away. You've got several weeks and months afterwards. If you could um, take us into that uh, immediate uh, journey, not having your mate with you. Well, uh, <clears throat> Uh, I had so much support from uh, the church, from my family, and from volunteers at the hospital where I have volunteered for 29 years. Uh, they all gathered around me at, and uh, um, and it, it just was so such a blessing. But it, it takes, I mean, people are so different. They, need different things and uh, and so uh, it's a blessing that uh, I was surrounded with all of that love. That's great. Um, on the heels of that, take us to, you mentioned your church. What are some things that your church did really well for you during that time and what are some things that could have been done better? That's not a shot, it's just learning, but does that question make sense? Yes, it, it, um, when Mel was at home before he passed away, uh, our pastor came and was there frequently. And at that, Mel had not been baptized. Mm. And at that time, 
he uh, wanted to be baptized, and so uh, Pastor Harvey baptized him. Mm. And uh, and there was a they had a long, long conversation, which I have no idea what that was all about. That was their their thing, and. Um, I don't think that there was anything that the church did wrong or could have that I could have said was wrong. They were they were just there for for well, me. If you, if you could think back, what are some things that the church did to care for you in those first few months? Uh, can you remember specifics? No. Okay. Uh, and I say, <laughs> I question. say that because you know they would have brought meals, but that's one thing that I didn't particularly need, you know. Um, uh, just just being there, I guess, you okay. know. It just, there just wasn't that much. Yeah. Right. Okay. Judy, same question. Uh, Dale passes. You've certainly got a strong family network around you and, and a lot of friends back in Iowa that you had built relationships with through the years. So what what did the church do really well that you remember in caring for you specifically as a brand new widow? It was ironic that we had just started small groups. And when they called to be a part of it, they said, well, you promised six months, you know? You know? And so we were a part of a small group. And in fact, two couples in that group were with me that night at the hospital when Dale passed. Mm. Now, they knew my family was in Ohio and Colorado, and they were there with me when my own family couldn't be. They were my family. They did everything. Um, that small group couldn't done, they couldn't have done anything else. Um, we were together forever. Mm. And so, the large church, and it was a large church, um, didn't have a way of having a grief counseling. We had a few sessions, but out of that has grown something now that's really positive because one of the ladies that was with me that night has been the leader in finding a good faith-based uh, grief program, mm. and so that has been awesome. Um, the biggest change that happened where some of the close people at church just fell away. Hmm. People that you didn't expect came to your side. Others disappeared. Hmm. Um, that was hard. Can you, can you unpack that for a moment? The, the disappearing and kind of falling away? That might look different to all of us, so help us understand what exactly happened. Well. Things, well, life just changes drastically. Um, and now you're a one. Um, not to everyone, but every one of us does different things, okay? And some that we had done something with as couples kind of just faded. Um, because you weren't a couple anymore. Because I wasn't a couple anymore. I think it's, it was more in that way, you know, because it wasn't a couple. Um, I have a dear friend who put her arm around me and had said, at this point in life, we're not about couples and you're always included. And so those things felt really good, mm. knowing that. Uh, then also, I wondered about where was I when someone needed it. So it was a kind of self-reflection too. 
where have I been? Have I been listening? Have I been helping? You know, because we all fall short. So I had to have a self-examination too on how I could help. Yeah. So a um, couple more questions for you ladies. Um, as we think about as a church, how do, we, how do we do this well? How do we care for widows? Um, if, if we find out there's someone at our, our workplace, someone on our street, in our neighborhood, uh, in our school system, uh, or we find, um, um, unfortunately, someone even here at church becomes a widow, what are, what are things we should do to care for that person? And what are maybe some things we shouldn't say or do to that person? And you can take that wherever you want. We'll start with you, Polly. Well, um, when you approach a widow, you shouldn't be afraid to, to talk to her about what has happened in her life. Uh, you shouldn't try to ignore her so that that if you feel embarrassed because uh, she has lost her husband. Um, kind of getting away from that, if I may, Please. I'd like to talk to the husbands uh, here. Uh, spoil your wife. Uh, do everything you can. Love her. But, but don't... Um, what do, I, what do I want to say? Don't make her so uh, or so not so dependent upon you. Um, I have a friend who lost her husband, and he was a doting husband. He loved her dearly. Uh, when he passed away, she didn't know how to put gas in the car. She had never paid a bill. She didn't know all of these things, and she was completely lost. And what he had done was to make a cripple of her, and so don't do that with your doting. That's a good word. Judy, same question. We meet someone, we find out someone in our neighborhood. What, are, what should we do and not do? Give us, give us that advice. Actually, what I'm going to start with, what not to do first, and then give some ideas for what to do, because I want to end on a positive note. <laughs> My thoughts exactly. <laughs> so the worst thing in the world are all of these cliches. And I don't know about you, but I've always been hurt by words more than anything. Mm. Words can take you, rise you up, or bring you down. So I'm different than anyone else, and all of us are going to be different, but the cliches don't help such as, you've cried enough. You know what? I did not know the body could produce so many tears in my life. But that doesn't help. Um, he's, in, he's in a better place. Um, he's not in pain anymore. Um, Lord's not going to give me more than you can handle. All you want to say is, I can't handle anything else right now. You know? And so, forget the cliches. Just give a hug. I called three of my friends this week, and I can't say everything that they shared, but the number one thing was just say I love you and a hug. Mm. And you don't have to do a thing. The fact that you're there at the visitation, and knowing that they have lost a friend, 
they've lost someone in their life too. You're not the only one. And uh, you don't need to say anything but a hug. And, and I have some ideas about <laughs> the cards that I got slipped in my mailbox. I did not know all the neighbors were walking, uh, watching us as we took our walks around the park because we did all the physical therapy, the spiritual and everything, and the food. And my husband walked a mile two weeks before he died at the park. But I had notes in there of neighbors who had said, you guys have worked really hard. Um, and I miss your husband wearing his earphones while he's mowing the yard. You know, it was such, so much fun. And those brought joy to me for people that were not afraid to talk about my loved one. And so those are some kind of things. I could write a book, okay? <laughs> I'm not arguing. <laughs> and, um, and in addition to that, um, oh, I, I had another thought here. I'm going to get you there. No, no. Um, it's... Um, be careful if there's a loved one that you don't know where they were with the Lord because a mutual friend of ours, and she didn't know whether or not he had accepted her husband. And I will have to go to Brian because I don't know how to deal with that or you know all the answers for that because we're all trying to learn and that's the only reason I'm here is to kind of share some of my heartfelt feelings and to know that all of us have different ones. And, um, and I'm a stubborn girl, and I will not let Satan take me down. So, I, no, I must say, get behind me. The, I developed a theme in my life, and I learned this from a high school student long ago, and she shared with me what joy really means. It means Jesus, others, and yourself. And so, when I was going to have a pity party, I tried to go do something for someone else, and it kind of takes the thought of your, off of yourself. And so um, that, you know, uh, we have to kind of self-talk a lot, self-talk. Um, we know the scriptures, but we look out here, and we don't have the Bible in our hand, and we're having a hard time, and we look and see that bird of the field and know that the Lord has every hair on our head counted and every bird in the field he cares about. And so we have a spiritual uplift right there. Just we have to work on keeping it ourselves. Amen. Amen. Brother. 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 <laughs> Judy said she's going to work on her amen during my sermon. So... Uh, told her to just practice in front of the mirror. You'll get it. Um, I, I wish we could go for hours. Um, 80 years old to be and 93 to be. The wisdom that's on this stage with me is um, nothing short of an honor for me uh, and for all of you to just sit and listen to these women who just love these guys to death. Um, both of them made it abundantly clear. Um, we're short on time, so we don't have time to share the stories, but made it abundantly clear they don't want to date again uh, to individuals who maybe wanted uh, coffee. <laughs> Polly may be a little scarier in that conveying than another, but nevertheless made it clear, I had a husband, I love him, I'm still married, and no, I'm not interested. So. <laughs> Um, it's where you just back away slowly. Um, and Polly can shoot, so... Um, 
you both, uh, you didn't have a husband, you have a husband. And that husband is waiting for you. And um, I'm thankful that we got a, a chance to get to know these fine gentlemen on the screen, uh, the impact that they had on your lives. This is uh, a morning that is not only honoring to these two uh, good-looking men that love the Lord and honor their brides, um, but it's, uh, Lord willing, a chance, uh, a therapeutic for the two of you to reminisce and share some wisdom, uh, but also for all of us and those who are watching online to uh, get a glimpse on what does it mean to care for widows. Um, a couple of things that as we talked and as I researched in my own experiences, uh, just to give you all some uh, additional guidance is um, don't stop talking to widows. When, when their loved one passes, they need more interaction, not less. Um, feel free to talk about that loved one that has passed and how much uh, that person meant to you. Uh, don't feel af afraid to throw it onto yourselves. W when someone passes, all the attention is on the one who's left. So to go up to them and say, hey, Dale meant this to me, that's fuel for the soul. Um, meals, uh, you know, maybe and maybe not, um, but just being able to offer meals. Just go get a cup of coffee, not romantically, um, <laughs> but just because you want to just have some friendship, uh, a cup of coffee, a cup of tea. Um, go watch uh, a TV show together, read a book together. Uh, offer to come clean a house, uh, do yard work, uh, call and check up on a regular basis um, to care for each other. Hey, how's it going? How's your week going? A call, a text, a, a personal uh, visit uh, from each other. What are you learning? How are you growing? They're still women. They, these, two, uh, these two had their loved ones pass away in 2002 together. Dale passed away what month? April 14th. April, so February and then April, within months, these two lost um, their husbands of the same year. Uh, and a lot of time has passed since then. You are still women growing and experiencing, so you, life goes on. And so take an interest uh, in those lives. The power of prayer, praying over them in person, but praying from afar, uh, praying over them to come and read a scripture over them. Uh, to, to make a beeline uh, for, for a widow when you see them at church. Uh, someone in your neighborhood to be able to stop by with you know, some treats or again, a cup of coffee or a warm hello or even just a simple hug. These are how we care for the widow. This pure and undefiled religion uh, for the least of these. And it doesn't mean that women are weak it just means they hold a very, very, very special place in God's heart. And I just wanna say truth to the two of you beautiful women, uh, you hold a very special place in God's heart. You are still his little girl. He has been preparing a place for you and you'll be reunited at some point. Um, but until then, we are privileged and honored uh, that you are in our midst, that you're part of our church body. Um, Diane, for your daddy, I'm sorry. I'm super sorry. Uh, and Grant, for you and your siblings, I'm sorry. I, death is sad. It is super, super, super hard. Um, and yet, uh, there's something beautiful about a day like today when I can look into the eyes of these men 
uh, and be able to whisper to them, we're taking care of your wives. And so thank you for being here. I have a gift for you, and then we're going to uh, pray for you. I have some flowers for you. We love you. We are thankful for you. And would you pray with me as we bless these widows? Um, but they're more than widows. They're our friends. Uh, and they're our family. So would you stand and let's, let's bless these two. Father, it is, it is so fitting to care for and to love the very thing that you say has a close place on your heart. It's why when we go around the world or even in our own backyard and care for foster kids and orphans, it, it just feels right. When we worship and when we spend time with you, it just feels right. When we love and care for the least of these, most notably widows, it just feels right and it feels right because it's your heart. It's what true faith and action looks like. And so I thank you for the courage and the strength of these two ladies to open their hearts and be vulnerable. I thank you for the men that you put in their life as they reminisce and reflect on those. I pray that you would replace pain and tears even of today with uh, smile and love and that they would be able to rest their heads on their pillow tonight knowing that they were honorable uh, to their God and that they were honorable to their husband. So we pray that you would continue to watch over and protect and provide for these two ladies and for widows all around us. Also include Irv as he uh, reflects on uh, his loneliness and pain and being a widower. Uh, pray that you would sit with him even now in the service, watch over him and care for him. Thank you for the bride that you gave him. Uh, God, this is good. It's hard, but it's good. And it's only because of the name of Jesus that we can rejoice and celebrate such things. And so we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Would you give these ladies a round of applause? I'm going to help you down.